The future belongs to those who control the culture, and the culture belongs to those who control the conversation. So we are having the conversations you wish you could have at church to build a safe and vibrant community. This is the Oz Table Talk Podcast. Well, welcome to another episode of Table Talk, and uh, I'm going to do what Luke does and say that tonight's a very special episode, <laughs> and uh, the reason that's special for me is because I get to interview our local church pastor, Pastor Mark Turner. So, Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you, and what are you most known for? Uh-huh. Well, currently, um, pastoring in South Queensland Conference, pastor of uh, Hinkley Church in Bundaberg, and Gingin Church just out of Bundy. Uh, been here a year, um, stand my fifth, no, sixth year in this conference, so um, nearly 20 years of ministry. I have uh, a wife, April, two girls, um, 16 and 13. Um, yeah, what else? <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what are you best known for? Best known for, that's right. Um, that's a good question, depends who you ask. <laughs> um, and I guess you get a different answer depending on, on the group of people you're talking to. From a, from a ministerial you know, context, um, probably amongst, amongst my peers, um, probably known for my interest in, in theology. Yeah. Um, yeah, getting into Greek and... When you go to ministers meetings, do people like kind of look at you with that, you know, like... Oh, look, I don't, I, in the room I, don't, well, I don't think so. I don't think I'm held in particularly <laughs> high esteem in that regard, but... Oh, no, I know. I think there's just a, a probably a recognition that that's that's something that I'm yeah. passionate about, and, yeah. and um, yeah, yeah, that's just, that's probably it. But yeah, funny story. When when you first came to Hinkler, and we were you know getting to know you, um, Luke and I were both chatting with each other and saying how we feel slightly intimidated by your presence because you're you know super academic and and really. Um, yeah, just schooled in, in the Bible and particularly in your Greek yeah. knowledge. And so you, you kind of feel like you have to like be careful what you say because you'll probably be wrong. <laughs> so, but as, <laughs> as we've got to know you, um, yeah, it's been really, really awesome. And just for everyone who's listening, um, Pastor Mark has been like, you know, definitely the, the most influential pastor that I've had in a long time. So yeah, really enjoyed his stay at our church so far and hoping, hoping, listening to this conference, guys, that we get to keep him for a little bit longer yet. <laughs> Probably be around for a bit longer. Yeah, yeah. that'd be great. So uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about you growing up. Where did you grow up? Um, most of my growing up was in New Zealand. Yeah, so you um, could probably hear that accent coming through just slightly. Yeah, <laughs> just slightly. Yeah, so I, I was I was born in Australia. I was born in Mackay, okay. so uh, almost come full circle. Yeah, um, got as far north as Rockhampton and, and headed south again. So I was born in Mackay, um, back and forth to New Zealand a little bit when I was uh, in my early years. Started school back in Mackay again, um, probably when I was six, seven. Okay. Um, and then moved back to New Zealand fairly, fairly permanently. My mum and my brother, myself, we moved back. Uh, yeah, I would have been about seven, I think. Um, so from there, I did all the rest of my schooling in New Zealand. Okay. Um, Your parents originally from New Zealand? Yeah, so, so both mum and dad from New Zealand. Mum was born in New Zealand. My dad was actually born in England. They grew up in, in okay. New Zealand. Yeah. Um, so they're Kiwis. So I... Um, yeah, kind of, um, yeah, said grew up in New Zealand, went to university in New Zealand, um, stayed there really till I was in my mid-twenties, went back to Avondale and yeah. spent a couple years in Australia, then back to New Zealand again for eight years of ministry, then back to Australia for another 10 or so years of ministry, so back so and forth. Lucky. So lucky, so <laughs> lucky. 
Uh, as in, there's so many um, beautiful places to see in both Australia and New Zealand. So, yeah, I think there's probably some people who would be slightly envious of, of your I, look, travel. I, I have I had the privilege of being able to see a lot of both countries. So, yeah. um, just yeah, the different moves that we've had. Um, so, so, who do you identify with? When there's a sporting event, do you support Australia or New Zealand? Australia. Oh, oh there you go. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why. When, when, um, when I first moved back to New Zealand as a seven-year-old, um, went to primary school and um, had a fairly recognisable Australian accent uh -huh. and uh, kids at school, especially, especially when sports were on, you know, like to the rugby when Australia was playing New Zealand, um, they made me very aware that I was an Australian and they were New Zealanders. And so when, when New Zealand won, um, they would always give me a hard time and, and that was probably more often than not. And, and so when, when you know, the, the rugby was on and my, my dad would often watch it at home, I'd be watching it with them, I'd be, I'd be sort of quietly hoping that Australia would win just just to kind of, you know... To avoid that. Just to, just to yeah, shut them up for a, for a week or two at least. And it's funny, it's sort of, you know, maybe I'm emotionally scarred by all that. I know, but, um, now when... Whenever Australia beats New Zealand in something, I, I kind of have this this little sense of justice. You know, yeah. something, something's been made right in the <laughs> world. Right? Yeah, it sounds so much like State of Origin time. <laughs> yeah, as, as a New South Welshman living in Queensland, so, same oh, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what would you say are some of your favourite childhood memories? Um, favourite memory. Look, um, I, I don't really have any one thing that stands out. I think. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as a kid, my my mum mum became Adventist when I was five, um, so she would take me to church um, on on Saturdays. Um, often during the winter, I would play soccer. My dad would coach the soccer team, so you know, half the year I guess I wouldn't be at church and be out on the soccer mm -hmm. field. And I enjoyed spending time with my dad in that capacity. He wasn't there a, a lot as I was growing up, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I like I enjoyed school. I, I enjoyed a lot of things. I don't really remember anything particularly bad about my childhood. Um, sort of, you know, under, under 10 years old, I, I, I used to get outdoors a lot. I lived near a, an estuary. The railway lines ran near a house and beyond that was an estuary with swamp and lots of water. And so okay. I'd go, go fishing and nice. had an air rifle go down there and, you know, shoot tin cans and stuff like that. And, yeah, and, um, yeah it, was, it was a pretty pretty good life, I think. Um, Probably my, my worst memory from childhood would be my, my parents separating yeah. you know, when I was, yeah, so when I was that 13. 13 um, okay. So my dad, dad would go away quite regularly um, to work, you know, go away for a, for a year or two at a time. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, I was when he was away and, and yeah. Um, yeah, I enjoyed the times when he was there. Um, once, once I got into those, so, you know, 11, 12, 13, um, I guess I started getting involved in hobbies and things like that, music mm -hmm. and things. And, um, okay, so that's a, yeah. that's a cool story. Why, why don't we go there? Your music why don't we go there? <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want to go there? Oh, look, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share. I, I, yeah, I've got lots of regrets about music. You know, I, um, as, as a kid, I was fascinated with um, well, guns. I, I loved, I uh, used to get gun magazines and okay, yeah. gun catalogues and dreamed about having a, <laughs> you know, a whole armory. Typical boy. Yeah, and, and I love the whole military side of things, you know. Um, did you ever do scouts? No, I didn't do no, scouts. Okay. I actually never did pathfinders either. Okay. Uh, my brother did pathfinders, but I was a St. John's Ambulance cadet. Oh, I okay. Big, bigger in New Zealand, I think. Yeah, yeah, that works. So I did St. John's Ambulance cadets um, and really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. When I was about 10, 11, um, 
I mean, I really wanted to play an instrument, you know, I, I enjoyed music and um, just wasn't sure what would I, what would I play and I, and I guess because of that whole kind of fascination with all things military and um, <laughs> love the marching and the uniforms, I thought, man, I, I want to play the, the bagpipes and, and <laughs> be in a pipe band and, and do all that kind of stuff. So, um, so I started, started learning the pipes when I was 11 um, and yeah, I got reasonably proficient. Um, I sort of pulled back a lot when I was around 15, 16 because of school and exams and stuff um, and uh, never really got back into it to the same degree. I, I sort of had a bit of a resurgence um, probably, oh, it would be 10 years ago back in, in New Zealand. Okay. Do you still have your pipes? I, st I do have them. They're, they're, they're in, in the pipe case gathering dust <laughs> in, my, in my wardrobe. Um, yeah, that's probably not the sort of thing your neighbours would appreciate too much, I guess. No, and that's, that's, yeah, they're not a very social instrument. Yeah. Yeah, out on a hill somewhere. Yeah. You, you played another instrument, though, as you got a little older? Yeah, look, I, I did. Um, when, I was, when I was about 16, you know, it kind of wasn't cool to play bagpipes. Um, <laughs> and I, I, wanted to, um, I wanted to play guitar. I wanted to be in a band and, and do that sort of thing, you know, and... I had friends at school that were into, um, well, into playing music themselves, but listening to, to heavy metal, you know. Um, and I guess because of the situation I was in, you know, as mum and dad had separated, I went to live with my dad for a year and then uh, it didn't work out so well. And so went back to my mum and then she got remarried. And um, yeah, I guess I guess music kind of filled a bit of a void. I, I found some kind of solace in all of that. And, mm. Um, and, 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 the, and the mates, we used to you know, get together, I, I got a guitar and, and sort of taught myself a little bit, um, so we used to jam together and dream about having a, a, you know, a heavy metal band, and, yeah. um, that was probably it as far as you know, getting anywhere went, but <laughs> dreams and that yeah. was not much more, but, um, but yeah, so that was a bit, of a, a bit of an obsession for a while. When I did leave school, I dropped out of school when I was 16 and probably spent at least a year um, just trying to you know, play music and see where that went. Yeah. It just didn't go anywhere, but that yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah, there you go, though. Fun, yeah. fun memories. Yep. So, heavy metal. And uh, I understand that you had a little more hair back in those days as well. Yeah, I did. That's the good thing about audio. You can't <laughs> see. But, um, yeah, long hair was, was in at the time. Um, I said it to people now that look at me with, with no hair and uh, wonder what that looked like. But... Yeah, it's hard to be in a heavy metal band and not have long hair, and so that yeah, was the gotta thing. Got to trash something. Got to about <laughs> bang your head, yeah. So um, I had the long hair and the wardrobe full of black clothes, and um, that was the thing. Yeah, that was the image. So you've also got a little bit of a reputation for uh, being a bit of a lover of horses. When did that sort of start for you? Yeah, so uh, what well, it probably started when I was you know three or four years old. But you okay. know, I used to. I had a stick horse that used to ride around the kitchen whenever a rhinestone cowboy came on the radio, you know, I, I wanted to be a, a cowboy and I loved watching westerns and stuff when I was a kid. Um, look, I didn't really ride much, you know, as real horses um, during, during my early years. Probably the time I was about 12, I managed to spend some holiday time um, on a, a relation of my mum's cousin, I think she was, on their farm and sort of really learnt to ride, spent a bit more time riding and would try and get back there fairly regularly. And nice. So that kind of developed that and then, um, 
don't know, just something I enjoyed. It was something that I, I felt I, I was good at it. Um, enjoyed working with horses and, and wanted to learn more about that. And so um, when I did leave school, as I said, I, I spent um, spent about a year mucking around trying to play guitar. But um, during that time, I did a three month um, course in, in New Zealand's called Polytech. It's similar to TAFE, same sort of thing. Okay. Um, equine sort of an equine husbandry course okay. for gearing people to get into the equine industry. Mm. Um, so I did that um, I mean, because my mind was on you know, heavy metal and being a you know, guitar hero, it, it <laughs> didn't get very far, I'm a bit distracted. Um, but then after that year of sort of mucking around, I, I ended up getting some farm work for about four years. Um, and the property that I was working on was, it was dry stock, so sheep and cattle, and then... Um, uh, a fair few horses, the the, the breeding warm bloods, yeah. and so I, I spent some time you know, doing starting young horses and, and just yeah mm. trying to try to advance my, my horse skills. Yeah, what did you love about that job? Um, look, I, I like the I like being out in the country. I mm. I, I, um, I like the the wide open spaces. Mm. I like working with animals. I, I, the, the dogs and horses, I just kind of, I don't know, I just really, I just really enjoy working with dogs and horses. Yeah. Um, I, I always feel free when I'm like yeah. with horses and, and dogs yeah. in particular, but with animals. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. That, that's, you know, it was just, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what words used to describe it, but it was, yeah. um, but it was, it's funny because it was, it was fulfilling, but at the same time, it, it was still something else I felt that I was looking for, you know, and mm -hmm. I can come back to that a bit, I guess. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I just, I just really enjoyed it. I liked, you know, taking a young horse and being able to, to teach it things and, and seeing it mm -hmm. grow and its abilities and, and trust and all that sort of stuff and, and just, just fun being able to do stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah. cool. so for a horse savvy audience, what was your favourite horse? Um, the favourite horse? Favorite horse. I had a few horses. I bought and sold a few, but my favorite horse was a was a second cross quarter horse. Yeah. Um, and uh, name? name his his registered name was King's Bid. Um, so it was usually shortened to, to King or Spid. Usually Spid or Speedy. Spid, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, he was he he taught me how to ride really, and, and he was a fantastic horse. Mm. I, I didn't break him in or train him. I, I bought him. Um, he was probably burned out from, from a lot of showing and um, okay. so I, I used, used to mostly do farm work with them but as far as you know reining and, and cutting which were the two things that I really enjoyed um, yeah, it was just fantastic okay excellent yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think um, there's there's a real value in the relationship that you build with horses mm. like I don't know there's there's just something about them above all other animals that I've ever worked with that you just you feel a connection yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. So you mentioned dogs as well. Yeah. Um, I, I understand you had a, an old faithful. I did. Yeah, I, again, I had a few dogs. Um, um, but but number one dog was Scott. Um, Such who, a funny dog name. A funny dog name, yeah. <laughs> and I, I named him after the author of a book on dog training that I was reading. Okay. That inspired me to buy him as a puppy. I was, I was reading this, this book about training working dogs with, with dogs to work cattle with. Yeah. And in the book... Uh, that this, this guy described his breeding program and he was crossing um, Kelpies with Border Collies with a little bit of other things thrown in as well. Yeah. 
And, and so I got inspired reading this book and it just happened that, that in the paper at that time there was an ad for these Border Collie cross Kelpie puppies. Oh, no. And this was in New Zealand, so there's not many Kelpies around. Yeah. A Kelpie's an Australian yeah. dog over there that are hitting dogs and hunter-wise. And so um, I'm like, wow, I've got to get one of those. So I went yeah. off and, and, um, and there was this you know, little puppy just caught my eye and, and, mm. and so I named him Scott. And uh, <laughs> when, I, when I left the farm work after, after four years, I sold all of my other dogs but Kip Scott, he was yeah. the one that I stuck with. Yeah, yeah. yeah the favourite. We had water collie cross kelpies too. They're, they're a lovely, mm. lovely temperament, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I found that with, with him. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, fr from the the kid who went out the back and shot tin cans and loved uh, the army and all of these things <laughs> to becoming a pastor. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about that. How did you first become a Christian? So you mentioned um, that your family were you know there was yep. a bit of both bit of yeah so so not. growing up I kind of had a, had a foot in both camps yeah um so mum as I said I became an Adventist when I was five um so I went to church with her went to went to Sabbath school learned all mm -hmm. the Bible stories um and, and enjoyed that really really enjoyed learning about the Bible mm -hmm. um I went to Adventist primary school for a few years as well and um okay. and enjoyed that um, so I had that background. Um, so when my mum and dad separated, I went to live with my dad, and then we go to church then. And mm -hmm. I, I did turn up at church now and again in my in my early teens. But by the time I was sort of fifteen, sixteen, dropped out of school, and, and, and you know trying to make a dig in the heavy metal scene, yeah, um, <laughs> wasn't quite compatible. No, that's right. It wasn't. No, I was. <laughs> so I'd have a foot in both those camps. <laughs> yeah. So I really, really didn't go near church for um, five, six seven years okay. as well, until my early 20s at least anyway. Mm. Um, did, 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 sorry to interrupt, but yeah. did you ever have, was there a, a time in your life where you felt like you, you never wanted to go back to church? Like, or was it or was it just that you were pretty much just disinterested? No, um, no, I never felt like I wouldn't go back to church. Yeah, in, fact, yeah. I, in fact, I always, um, I wouldn't say I always felt that I would go back to church, but I always kind of, knew that was the right thing to do and, yeah, I, and okay. I knew I should be back in church yeah, and, okay. and I guess um, yeah, I was a pretty sensitive kid and I've always had a fairly sensitive conscience mm -hmm. and you know I used to you know party with my friends and, and you know, get up to well, they would get up to all kinds of stuff and I would try to get up to all kinds of stuff but you know, I, no that's right they, they just seem to be able to not care and I always cared you know I was yeah. like well I, how can I just do that crazy stuff because you know there's so much more to life you yeah. know so I had this kind of big picture that that I couldn't enjoy the things that everyone else was doing. Mm. Um, so that kind of, you know, that, that kept troubling me. And um, I, I think to cut a long story short, what what made the difference was I ended up going to a seminar. My mum invited me to a seminar um, um, in basic life principles. It was sort of a Bible seminar. And went along to that and it was a whole bunch of stuff. It was for a whole week. And um, one thing stood out. It was it was Psalm one hundred and thirty nine, and it was about you know, being being formed in your mother's womb, God mm -hmm. knowing you before you're born, having having a basically it was having a plan. You know, God had a plan for you before you were born. That was kind of the thrust of it mm -hmm. that, that I took from it anyway. That the guy had a plan and a purpose. You know, I thought if God had a plan, there must be a purpose for all of that. And and I was I was sort of vacillating between you know wanting to be a guitarist in a heavy metal band, wanting to be a horse trainer, and and they didn't seem compatible with each other either. Yeah. And so when one wasn't working out, I'd you know I'd go and get more focused on the other one. And 
and neither of them really brought me the fulfillment that I wanted. I really, I really wanted to to find something that that I would just feel satisfied with and, yeah. and fulfilled. And going to this seminar and being confronted with this this Bible verse, Bible passage, you know that that God knows us before we're born, He creates us in our mother's womb, He has a plan and a purpose. So that the thought just kind of struck me that if 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 God has a plan and a purpose, then I'm only going to find fulfillment and satisfaction when I'm doing what God designed me to do. Mm. And and so then the question was, what did He design me to do? Yeah. Was it playing guitar in every meal? I thought probably not. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was it training horses? I thought well, I hope it is. You yeah. know, because that's what I'd like to That'd do. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, and and my greatest fear at that point was, what if it's to be a pastor? I thought well, that that was kind of like. And I don't know why I thought that, because I, I never wanted to be a pastor. Um, and I thought, well, you know, what what if that's the case? Or, well, you know, now I wrestled with that for a long time. In fact, it was one of the, the probably the biggest barriers to me actually making that commitment to Christ was, you know, what if I give my life to him and he asked me to do something that I really don't want to do that will embarrass me, you know? And, uh, and the last thing I want to do is be a pastor and have to stand in front of people and talk to them. Um, but, you know, so I wrestled with that, you know, Month after month, and, and even year, this was in the middle of that four years when I was on the farm. Mm. And, and so, for, for the last two years of that farming experience, you know, I remember going down the back of the farm and just, just sitting down there on the hill, and the dogs would be running around, and I'd just be sort of looking up in the sky, going, God, what is it you want me to do? You know, if this isn't it, what is it? How do I get there? And, um, it was hard for me to make that change. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it was like, well, I have to know, you know, if, God, if God's got a plan, I, I want it, you know. Yeah. And, and it was at that point where, where and I would say to God, you know, God, what's the plan? Tell me. I, mean, I have to know the plan. And, and I mean, I've never heard the audible voice of God, you know, and, 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 I, and I, I don't know, I don't expect to, but I, I just had a strong impression. It was as, as if God was saying to me, you know, why, why do you think you can know my plan for your life? Why do you think you can know my will without knowing Mm-hmm. You know, that was that was the, that was the question. <laughs> that what? And it's kind of just you know. I thought, well, yeah. And uh, so that sort of started me on, on a journey. Well, I should, if I'm going to know God's will for my life, I yeah. should start with knowing God. Mm. Um, and so you know, I had to make a lot of changes. Um, a whole story there take a long time to tell. But yeah. um, I ended up leaving leaving the farm and um, started going back to church. I was in, in the early twenties, twenty twenty two, twenty three, about that, that time. Enrolled at uni, um, I really finished school without any decent qualifications, yeah. and uh, I was a capable student. I was just a you know, lazy student and yeah. a troubled student by other things that were going on, family life and that. But um, so I went back to uni, I uh, went to uni and um, went to church. Uh, what were you studying? So I started studying. Well, to be honest, I I just enrolled my, my first year. I just enrolled in a different bunch of subjects. I, I enrolled in some sociology, some psychology, anthropology, um, basic liberal you know, art stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and um, my interest was in psychology, probably more than anything, mainly because well, a couple of reasons. One, I I enjoyed animal psychology. I enjoyed training dogs, training mm-hmm. horses. So principles of learning and behaviour, that stuff was was fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. But the other thing, I guess, was that I wanted to know. I wanted to know why I thought the way I thought. Why, why, you know, why did I wrestle with the things I wrestled with? What, what, you know, what made people do what they do? All that kind of stuff. Just, I guess, because of my own experience with, with my mum and dad and, and all that sort of stuff. And and so I had, you know, 
probably didn't think it out this clearly looking back now. I guess I, I was going to church and reading my Bible trying to see what the answers were there. And, yeah. and I was sort of just hedging my bets. Yeah. I'll see, see what other answers I can find yeah. in psychology, mate. You know, which, which one will be the, um, the best foundation for me to move forward on, you know? And so, um, yeah, so I spent three years at uni doing a BA in psychology. Cool. Yeah. Okay, there you go. <laughs> probably probably um, some of those fundamental skills would have been useful when you did become a pastor anyway. Yeah, well, look, you know, um, understanding behaviour um, yeah. and, and things like that, um, you know, brain function, all that stuff, it's, it's yeah, it's a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, helpful, yeah. yeah. helpful, yeah. yeah. So then from, from there, so from you deciding you wanted to get to know God so that you could know his will for your life, yeah. how did you come to the conclusion that his will for your life was to, to go and become a, a pastor? Pastor. Um, yeah, okay, so again, you know, I, I never wanted to be a pastor. In fact, you know, that was one of the things that kept me from getting baptised quickly. You know, it took me a long time. The question was, could I trust God? You know, <laughs> if I commit my life to him, um, do, I, do I trust him enough to, to lead me and guide me? Mm. Um, in a way that, that I might not want to go, you know, or, or whatever. Um, so I finally got to that point, you know, God had worked in my life in a variety of ways. He provided me somewhere to live, and, and I ended up boarding with, with Evan's family. Um, and I got to the point where I recognized, okay, God was already blessing in ways that, that I couldn't have imagined, mm. and that was before I committed my life to him. So I took the step, got baptized, um, still with the purpose of, of finishing my psychology degree, maybe going and doing a master's in psychology, maybe going back to the horse training or something like that. Mm. Um, and during that time, I got involved in, in the local church. Um, I got involved as a youth leader, teaching Sabbath school on a regular basis. Um, I was invited to preach uh, on several occasions. And um, as a result of that, you know, I guess, you know, after preaching, people would say, you know, hey, you know, have you ever thought of, being a minister, I'd say, yeah, yeah, I've thought about it, but that's not really fair. Yeah, yeah. I've got other things I want to do, you know. And, and then I'd you know, take another sermon, and so I'd say, oh, yeah, have you thought about being an evangelist? And I would say, yeah, no, that's not really for me, you know. Yeah. I appreciate your thoughts, but, but that's, no, that's not really what I want to do. Um, so I, I had you know, a pretty, pretty definite um, view on that. But I, I guess after enough people said things like that, I started thinking, well, maybe... There's something to this. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe God's trying to tell me something. Maybe I should take it seriously yeah. and um, at least pray about it and, and see where it'll lead. So, so I guess yeah, you know, my last year at uni, I guess I started to give that a bit more serious thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, in the end, it was actually um, I um, I wanted to to I, guess I said you know, earlier on that my dad didn't well, he wasn't Adventist and, and mm-hmm. never became one that um, was somewhat cynical I guess about me joining a church um, I went to stay with my dad and I thought you know um, you know God wants us to honor our parents and honor our father and mother and um, I thought, well I'm gonna test God and I thought well I made it sort of promise to myself that if, if God if God wants me to um, to go into ministry then he will he will change my dad's heart. The dad will be favourable to that. that I said to my dad when I got there, because you know, it was mid-year, maybe it was the year, I can't remember, but it's coming to the end of my final year, and um, dad said, oh, what are you going to do when you finish? You know, you're going to go up and do your master's? And I said, well, actually, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking about going to ministry, mm-hmm. becoming a pastor, studying theology. You know? And he was pretty dumbfounded at that point. Yeah. Um, and he sort of said, well, you know, 
why would I do that? You know? <laughs> I said, well, I, you know, I feel that's what God's calling me to do. And, um, and, I, and I said to him, you know, I said, but I said, I'm not going to do it without your blessing. I said, if you don't feel it's the right thing for me to do, I don't want to do it. And that was my out. You know, I, I really, I didn't want to yeah. go. I, I didn't want to go to, to the ministry. And but we, I'm like, no way my dad's going to agree with yeah. me. You know? So <laughs> I, I sort of made that deal with God. And I thought, well, it's got to be a miracle. And so I just left it there and I, I prayed and I was the same with my dad for a couple of weeks. And um, by the end of the time that I was there, two or three weeks had gone by and we hadn't really talked about it at all. And um, he came back to me and he said, well, you know, I've been thinking about what you said. Um, like, oh, okay, here we go, you know. Um, he's going to tell me what he thinks of the church and um, thinks of my plans for ministry. And he says, well, you know, um, some people feel called to be a doctor, some people feel called to be an architect. He said, you feel called to go in the ministry, I guess that's what you should do, you know. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was supposed to be my dad. This was supposed to be the way to get out of this, you know. Yeah. So then I was kind of stuck, you know. Now, then I was dumbfounded. I thought, well, I, I can't really get out of it now. Yeah. So I, so I went and went to Avondale. Now, having said all of that, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to get into ministry. What I, what I did want to do was, was study. I wanted to learn. And so I... So you were keen for theology. I was keen for theology, and most of all, I was keen for Greek. All right, now this, uh -huh. this will, yeah, this shows how how you know twisted my thinking is. But you know, I I just had this hunger. What what I'd done when I when I started going to university, um, I said I started going to church. I started going to uni at the same time, and there's a lot of suspicion about psychology, yeah. and, and so you know, a lot of well-meaning people said, "So you've got to be really careful studying psychology," you know. It'll lead you astray, it'll lead you away from God. And I thought, well, okay, that's pretty serious. I better, no, I don't want that to happen. Yeah. You know, so I made myself a little promise. I thought, well, what I'll try and do is I'm going to spend much time studying the Bible as I'm spending in my psychology study. Okay. And that's going to be hard to do because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of time at uni and lectures yeah. and stuff like that. So, so what did, it probably didn't balance out in practice, but, but my plan was just to get up early every morning, spend an hour in Bible study. And I'd go to uni, I'd, I'd have breakfast, get on my bike, and, and ride to uni. And I'd still, whether I had classes or not, I would go there and I'd do my study, I'd do my assignments. And if I had lectures, then I would go to them. And, and I'd stay in the library till about you know, 4.30, 5 o'clock, I'd on bike right home. And then I'd spend my evenings reading my Bible again, doing study. Um, and setting up a couple of hours in the evening. And so usually about you know, three hours a day, I'd be, I'd be reading and, and studying. And, and then all the other times, so 8 till 5, it was at uni doing my psychology stuff. Um, and I pretty much maintained that. I, I even you know, went to uni on Sundays, so I had that same routine. It was just, just my routine. So um, got a lot of Bible study done, um, and um, just I guess over those three years realized that the Bible had better answers than the psychology had. And so that was ended up. You know, I wanted to pursue that rather than pursue the psychology, even though I was, I was still interested in it. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to. I wanted to to know more. I wanted to be able to study more. I wanted better tools and better skills, and so. I wanted to learn Greek. I just I just wanted to be able to read the New Testament in the original language. Yeah. So that was that was the big thing. And I, I went to Avondale, again, not, not particularly wanting to do ministry, um, although feeling that, that that was a door that God was opening for me, mm -hmm. but desperately wanting to be able to, to better understand the New Testament, better able to read the text and wrestle with it. That was that was it. That, yeah, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not a lot of people that could say that that was their that was their thing. No, and and when I was at Avondale, you know, I, and we had to do two semesters of Greek. That was compulsory. And I actually asked them if I could do an extra third semester of Greek. I had to overload. I had to take on an extra subject in my in my second year, my third semester. 
uh, just so I could do extra Greek. Well, wow. those, those people <laughs> thought yeah. I was crazy. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, that was it. It was like the opportunity. I was like, how could I? How could I not take the opportunity yeah. if I could do more Greek? I did it, so that was that was well, I think that's going to be important in a moment. Yeah. Just before we get there, which was your ch- first church as as a pastor? Coming out to ministry. Yeah. Um, my first church was um, well, I had two church, well, I had two churches in the company. So I came out with the South New Zealand Conference. Okay. And I was working with Oxford Church, Rangiora Church, and uh, North Canterbury Company, which was sort of based at Colburn. All right, so you came over here for your studies, went back over there. Back over there, there. yeah. That's right. Yeah, and so do you feel like now, looking back after the years that you've been doing ministry, that uh, that first assignment was pivotal for you? Like you've been to college, you've learned all the theory, and then you get out into the field. Did you have some paradigm shifts even then? Um, Yeah, definitely. As far as practical ministry went, for sure. I mean, I, I, um, I came out of college... You know, just wanting to preach and teach. You know, yeah. that, was, that was that was my passion. You know, I loved loved studying, loved teaching, loved preaching. That was everything about the word. Um, and you know, it doesn't take long to realize that a lot of ministry is administration. It's mm. it's you know, it's meetings, visitation. It's it's dealing with people's issues and stuff like that. Um, and so, I was trying to do all of that. Um, you know, I had had a passion for young people. I was trying to run a youth ministry and. Um, yeah. So I was I was probably nearly burned out in the first six yeah, months. It sounds was, like a lot of hats. Yeah, absolutely. And because I wasn't married at the time, you know, I didn't really have. Um, well, I, I wasn't I wasn't taking time out for anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So so go to church Sabbath, Sunday. I'm like, well, what should I do? Well, why don't I go door knocking and, and get some contacts, you know? <laughs> um, and yeah. then Monday back into work again. Yeah. So that was it. And, and you know, halfway through my first year, the conference president came and sat me down and said, hey, look, you know, I hear, I hear you're going out on Sundays, door knocking, you know, looking for contacts. And I said, yeah, yeah, I am, you know. I, was, yeah. I thought he'd be really pleased, you know. <laughs> and he said, look, you know, you, you need to you need to slow down. I think you, you, know, you need to balance your life a bit better. And, and I was indignant, you know. I, here was me out there trying to save the world and my conference president tell, telling me to say that. <laughs> yeah, I felt that. You know, I thought, you know, apostate conference president, you know. <laughs> Now, looking back now, um, you know, I, I was just trying to, as I said, I was almost trying to kill myself. It was yeah. ridiculous. And, and I wasn't really willing to listen to someone tell me that. But, but you know, I appreciate now the fact that he can see that I was yeah. a part of self-destruction. Yeah. Yeah. So over the years, do you feel like one of the main lessons you've learned is to, to work smarter rather than harder? Well, I like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a constant juggling act, you know, and it's one of the frustrations of ministry. Um, but for me, I'm a, I'm a um, very structured task person, or at yeah. least that's how I function best. Yeah. And and so I struggle with that aspect of ministry. Mm. Everything's fairly fluid. You know, one day's not like the other. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A bit hard for the routine. Yeah. yeah, very hard to have a routine. Very hard to do things consistently. Um, yeah. All right. So as a, as a pastor and as a person, what would you say are some of the things that you're most passionate about? Um, passionate about so um, usually when I when I start off in a church at least the last couple of times I know when I started at, at Hinkler mm. you know, um, a year ago um, the first sermon or one of the first sermons was the, the three things that, that drive me and my ministry that yeah. motivate me um, and uh, the why I structured the sermon was you know power of the word the purpose of the church and the priority of the family um, so those are kind of the three things that um, 
I, I guess I get passionate about it, as far as ministry goes, at least anyway. You know, the, the, the power of the word, the word's made a powerful difference in my life. Um, the purpose of the church in regard to, you know, disciple making, preparing people for the Lord. Yeah. Um, and the family, you know, um, partly from my own experience with, with my family, my, my parents, and that, mm. but also now that I'm married with kids, you know, recognizing the importance of, of family, and particularly yeah. the role of dads. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, I reflect a lot on, on my relationship with my own father, and and um, I've been really blessed in that now we're probably closer than we've ever been. It's just yeah. it's been, yeah, he lives just down the road. Just down the road, absolutely, and that, that's just um, amazing the way that's worked out. Yeah, because you know, we've like you said, full circle. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, things are pretty strained there. Um, in in my late teens, um, mm. a lot of animosity. Um, but yeah, we were sort of really blessed in that regard. But but it's just even when I was studying psychology, um, you know, often I, I did a, I did a my third year I did a forensic psychology class, okay. um, looking at, and I did an assignment on, on criminal behaviour and father absence, just looking mm-hmm. at the relationship between you know fathers not being there for their kids and, and people getting locked up in prison, yeah. um, and that was fascinating. You know, the correlation was was just mm-hmm. you know, crystal clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then coming to scripture and, and, and seeing the role of, of, of men and fathers and stuff has been um, something yeah something that, that I, I do get yeah very well about yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a strong suit for you as well I've noticed since you've been with us that yeah working with the families um, the parenting seminar that you're running currently yeah. um, it's been really successful and I think that's largely due to the fact that you're passionate about it it's not just another program to you it's it's a, a real Purposeful, you know, intentional. Yeah, I believe in this. And look, it's critical. I, th- I think it's critical. If if the, if churches are going to be healthy, families have to be healthy. Yeah, and it's got to start there, and, and that then flows out into the community and beyond. Yeah. Um, and and if, if the family's going to be healthy, then dad's got to step up. Now that's that's again that's there are single parent families. There yeah. are, there are, you know obviously there's there's um, different contexts, different situations. But all things being equal, you know, uh, it rests with with the father, the dad, yeah. to take. Spiritual leadership, take responsibility. Yeah. So, look, you know, if I can do anything to encourage guys to do that, and you know, obviously the parenting course you're talking about, we're sort of working on that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I guess yeah, I inspired to be a better, better dad myself. Yeah. Room for improvement, but we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're a good dad. Yeah. And and I feel like the um, second one that you shared about the purpose of the church is possibly what I was alluding to. I said, you know, working uh, smarter, not harder. You yeah. have a, a real emphasis on discipleship, which has been really, um, well, it's in the beginning phases at least of being really transformative for us at Hinkler. Um, because I think for a lot of years as, as a church, uh, just in general, we've been focusing a lot on public evangelism. Um, not, not just Hinkler, but the, the church as a whole. Church as a whole, yeah. Um, but you're trying to, I suppose, bring us back to the, the biblical model, Jesus model of, of making disciples and um, yep. and so working with people in those small groups and, and that's been really helpful for us. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I think there's a place for public evangelism yeah. um, and that was my passion, you know, well, my, well, one of my passions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other room, it was four. Um, you know, coming out of college, that's... Pretty much what I wanted to do. I was only going to be two things. One was going to be a theologian. I wanted to go back and do a master's degree, yep. uh, and then a doctorate, but they wouldn't let me. They said, "Two years in the field before you can do further study." So okay. right, that's it. Well, if I can't be a theologian, I want to be an evangelist. Yep. Um, that's what I love to do: preach and teach. And that public evangelism is something that I really enjoyed. Mm. Um, so I, I still enjoy. It. I still think there's a place yep. for it. But you know, 
if if the model that Jesus gave us means anything, then then we should be prioritizing um, discipleship, small groups, and yeah. and discipleship doesn't just mean small groups, but but that's the model that Jesus used. You yeah. know, when when he said to his disciples, you know, um, um, yeah, go you before and, and King James says teach, but literally it means go and make disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the mandate. Yeah, you know, um, and we've you know, we focused on being. You know, purpose-driven, seeker-sensitive, user-friendly, all that stuff. Um, Jesus envisaged a disciple-making church, the yeah. disciple-making uh, at the heart of everything. And so um, and the way he did that, maybe, you know, with the disciples listening, well, I think would have understood that immediately. Jesus mm. just spent three years discipling yeah. them. And then there were 12 of them. They yeah. had basically a small group. They had the model. They had the model, yeah. you know. And so this would have been a no-brainer. They would have said, okay, we just need to go and do for what Jesus has done for us. Yes. We need, to, we need to find a, a group of committed people who we can train, equip, encourage, yeah. and, and, and send out there. That's, again, multiplication would have just, just been natural with, with that model. Um, so that's, yeah, that's what we tried to do at Hinkler. Yeah. Um, and just for anyone out there listening that has any leadership role in their church, I mean, I mean, you just heard the, the method. So yeah. Jesus set the disciples an example, and as if you're a leader in your local church, then, then that's your duty is to set an example of, of mentoring, of discipling, and that's what you've been encouraging us to do. I'm one of the elders at church, and and we as a, a team, that's been our focus is to to create a discipleship culture uh, by leading from the front. And yeah, I think that that's yeah. like you just said, that's exactly the way Jesus envisaged the church. Yeah, that, yeah, and I think it's exciting what we've been able to do just in the last twelve months. Um, you know, it's, it's the first time I've had a group of elders who've been able to make the time mm. um, once a week to meet together. So it's mm. like we have our own small group, you know, yeah. as a leadership team. Which is amazing. Together. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's, it's not always possible. I've been in plenty of churches where it's hard to get elders meeting once a month. Yeah. And um, we do, you know, you do your best and make it work. But, but yeah, I, I think we've started to experience yeah. um, what can happen, you know, when yeah. you meet on a regular basis yeah. and, and you take quality time to be in the word to, to deal with issues and um yeah yeah so so right at the beginning when we we asked you know what are you best known for the probably the most you know uh what's what's the word the most uh outstanding thing about you <laughs> is yeah. that you you um like you said you're sort of known for having a keen interest in scripture yeah. and so you said the first thing of those three keys that you sort of focus on is the power of the word so tell us a little bit about that. What is it that um, keeps you up at night about Bible study? Um, well, I, I guess a lot of things. When, when I could be a full-time student, I, I'd love to just yeah. study. I love to learn, um, and, and I get frustrated when the stuff I don't know, I don't understand. And so I'm reading a passage of Scripture, I'm like, what does that mean? You know, or you know, reading something that Paul wrote, and like, I don't understand that, or this controversy yeah. of what it could mean. Yeah. You know, I, I, that, that keeps me awake at night. You know? yeah. I have to, yeah. to read everything I can find and, and, and study. But... Um, you know, I was challenged um, by a parable that Jesus told, a familiar parable in, in uh, Matthew 13, which is the parable of the sower. Yeah. And um, I saw something, what actually was pointed out to me, um, and, and I should have seen it, yeah, it's, it's obvious as anything, and, and you know, people listening probably go, oh, yeah, let's listen to you about that. But, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes, sometimes things kind of jump at you and, and you see them with, with fresh eyes, but... Yeah, so the parable of the sower, you've got a sower who goes out to sow and he sows seed. Some of it goes by the wayside, this is Matthew 13, about verse 4. Um, some on stony places, uh, some amongst the thorns, and some on good ground. And we understand that represents four different types of people. And, yeah. and you know, the seed is the word, and you know, some people hear the word and, and you know, 
get excited, but then they fall away, and other people you know, they get busy with stuff, and you know, we know the story. But as I was reading through um, the, the, the explanation, um, the parable explained, Matthew 13, um, verse 18, Therefore hear the parable of the soul, and anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Mm -hmm. And what stood out to me was was that second phrase, and does not understand it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so someone hears the word of the kingdom, right? Okay, so the message is shared with them, or they, or they read it, they, they, whatever. The message comes to them in, in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. If they don't understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away with the sun in the heart. So understanding is really critical. People mm -hmm. can hear it, but if they don't understand it, yeah. then it's lost to them. Mm -hmm. And then and then you come down to verse 23. He who received uh, seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands mm -hmm. it. And D bears fruit and produces some 100-fold, some 60, mm -hmm. some 30. And so you know, one of the points that I shared in that sermon was the power of the word. But the word is only powerful if we understand it. Yeah, yeah. You know, if someone hears the word but doesn't understand it, or they read it and don't understand it, yeah. there's no power in it. It can't yeah. change their lives. You know, Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But yeah. if, if you don't understand it, you can't know it, you yeah. know, and it can't set you free. So understanding is critical. That, I guess that was my heart. I wanted to understand the word. There was yeah. so much that I didn't understand. And so I wanted to be able to understand it. And I guess that's kind of flowed over into my ministry. Mm. Um, you know, passages like um, Acts chapter 6 where they appoint the seven deacons and, and then the, the apostles say, you know, we want to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. They saw that as their priority. Yeah. Um, and explaining it, teaching it, helping people to understand it um, is, is something that, that drives me. But yeah, there's an old saying, you know, give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach a man how to fish, he eats for a life. Yes. And that's probably almost my philosophy of ministry, I guess, yeah. you know, we can we can... You can preach a good sermon, you know, and people go, wow, that was great. Yeah. Um, I, I would rather give people the tools, give people the skills to be able to take the word and understand it for themselves. So when I preach, I try and preach in a way that, that helps people work through the text. You know, I try to preach expository. Yeah, that's right. So I, I, I tend, tend to preach expository sermons um, so that people can gain confidence mm -hmm. that they can read the Bible for themselves. Yeah. You know? yeah. Because I get up there and say, well, yeah, here's a verse over here in, in, in Ezekiel, it ties in with a verse over here in, yeah. in, in, in Luke, and that ties in with another verse back in Genesis. And the average person in the pew says, well, boy, I'll never be able to do that. You know? yeah. How will I know where all those verses are? I'm about to put it together in a way that makes sense. But if you can take you know, a parable or, or a passage in Romans and say, well, let's, let's start where the thought starts and work through mm. the, the, the logic and see mm -hmm. what the writer is saying, yeah. uh, that was true for me when I, when I first was exposed to that kind of study, inductive Bible study, just blew my mind that I could mm. just take the Bible and read mm -hmm. it and understand it. So understanding is key. So so my what what drives me in regard to, to the word is is trying to help people understand mm. yeah. the scripture. Yeah. And you mentioned our, our weekly gathering as elders that we have, you know, where we sit around and we, you know, we do discuss some of the issues that are going on at the church, whatever's relevant at the time. But you also um, often lead us in, in a Bible study or a, some sort of a spiritual you know, emphasis at the beginning of the meeting. And um, one, one of the things that we were really blessed by, I'm just trying to think, was it this year or last year? Last year. Last year, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it does. Um, was you, you were t taking us through several passages and showing us how that our, if our method isn't, isn't you know, working, then we can completely misunderstand the quest, the, the scripture that we're trying to understand the passage. Yeah. 
Um, whereas, yeah, if we can get the method right, then we can let scripture speak for itself. Right. I think that's probably, you know, a big emphasis for you, like let, letting the text determine what yeah. God says. Yeah, absolutely. Um, being able to ask, asking the right questions is key, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we come to the Bible with questions. Mm -hmm. We want to know, what does the Bible say about, usually about my situation, what, you know, yeah. um, I've got this issue, I've got this challenge, um, what does the Bible say? So we, we come with, come with questions. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's just, that's, that's life, you know. We yeah. have questions, we want answers, oh, and, and the Bible has them. The, the problem is when, when we're asking a question that the Bible writer is not trying to answer, um, and apply that answer to yeah, it. Yeah, and, and you can't you can't know what the Bible means to me until you know what the Bible means. Because mm. you know? yeah. people say, oh, yeah, this text means this to me. And I'm like, well, okay. Yeah. You, <laughs> um, you, you've got to know what the text means in context. What did, what, did the, what did the author mean by what he wrote? How would the first audience have understood it? Yes. Um, and then you can say, well, okay, now they now I understand it. What does it mean to mm -hmm. me today? Make the application. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we call that exegesis, which means getting the meaning out of the text, basically, yeah. rather than trying to put your own meaning into the text. So to do exegesis, you've got to start with those basic questions. Mm. You know, what what was the author trying to say? Was Paul trying to say in Romans? What what was John trying to say in in Revelation? What was God trying to say through him? You know, those those are the questions. How how would the first century audience? How would those in Rome understand what Paul was mm. trying to say in, yeah. in Romans? How would the Galatian church have understood what Paul was saying in Galatians? When you get that wrong. Uh, you get the, the large-scale debate that we have today, you know, and, and the, you know, multiple de denominations and all of these different interpretations of the same words, yeah. um, you know, because we've, you know, used a faulty method. Yeah. So I think maybe the best way you could explain would be to, to give us a, an example. Yeah. Um, I, I remember when we were going through this last year that there was a passage in Romans 3 that you yeah. took through. Do, do you think you could give us, like, a brief? Yeah, well, absolutely. So, um... um in the Romans 3 is a verse that um, we use a lot in public evangelism. Yes. You know, I've mentioned before that I've done a fair bit of public evangelism and um, I've certainly used it. If you've been to a public evangelistic program, you've probably heard it used. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and it's Romans 3 verse 31. And uh, it simply says, Do we then make void the law through faith? Paul answers his own question. Certainly not on the contrary, we establish the law. Mm -hmm. Now, when this text is presented in an evangelistic context, yeah, as good Adventists, we we say yes, amen. That's right, <laughs> absolutely. And 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 the, the reason we we bring that verse out, we, the reason we share that verse, is because we want people to know that putting their faith in Jesus, accepting Jesus as their savior, does not then let them off the hook in regard to keeping the commandments. Yeah. Right? You know, um, we establish the law. Faith establishes the law. So believing in Christ um, doesn't mean we don't need to obey. That's, that's the way we, we present it. And that's good theology. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that in yep. the sense that, that the Bible teaches that. Yep. Um, you know, we, we should put our faith and trust in Jesus. We should also be obedient. Both of those things are true. Um, the, the problem is, well, the problem with the proof text approach in general is that it doesn't take consideration, doesn't take into consideration the context. Mm. Um, now, when you do public evangelism, um, you, you don't really have time to, you know, Explain the background of Romans and, and you know work your way through chapters one yeah. and two and three. And explain it. All. You just can't do that. And so so the, the proof text approach is kind of the default approach. You know you have an argument to present. You've got to present it clearly and succinctly and powerfully. And so you, you you've got texts that, that make the point really well. Yeah. Um, the problem then is that we just assume that's what the text means. Yeah. Right. So we all know what Romans three thirty one 
means. It means that just because we believe in Jesus doesn't mean we're off the hook. We have to obey still. All right. Um, so doing exegesis, we, we would ask questions like, well, what, what, did, what did Paul mean when he wrote that? What's he trying to say? Yeah. And, and the way that we would try and answer that is looking at his use of language. Okay? Yeah. Um, obviously, we'd read context. We'd try and start at Romans 1, read chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, get, get a big picture. Mm-hmm. But then we'd say, okay, so what, what did Paul mean by what he said? What do we mean by making void the law? What do we mean by the law? All right? and, and for us as Adventists, generally when we hear the word law, if it's in a positive sense, we think Ten Commandments. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's in a negative sense, we think ceremonial law. Yeah. That's the way we define it. You know, if it's positive, it must be Ten Commandments. Paul's talking negatively about the law, then it's the ceremonial law. Yeah. So, so here, this is positive. Do we make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. We're upholding the law, so it must be the Ten Commandments. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and again, you know, theologically, um, we're, on, we're on solid ground in the sense that um, you know, Ten Commandments are still relevant for us as believers, no question about that. But um, is that what Paul meant? Yeah. Are, there, are, there, are there other options? And, and you know, the, the term law, nomos, can, um, can mean Ten Commandments, can refer to the first five books of the Old Testament, mm. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They were, that was the, the, the Torah, the, the law of Moses. Yeah. Um, it can also refer to the whole Old Testament. Yeah. <laughs> That's the law. Um, Paul can even use the term law to refer to a principle of action, you know, the law of sin and death is often understood in that, mm. in that sense. Um, some debate about that, but that's... So, you know, you maybe got three, at least, you know, at least three, maybe four options there. Yeah. So the question then is, what, is, what does he mean by making void the law through faith? Yeah. Um, and you've got to go back and look at the way he uses it in context. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, what we did together last year was just go back and, and, and we did that. And uh, we... Yeah, you, know, you could go back to again chapters two and three. The the, the big picture in Romans is is, is really um, circumcision is a key issue. Paul is trying to ask, you know, where is your confidence? Is it in circumcision or is it in Christ? Mm-hmm. You know, what how we may write with God is it through mm-hmm. circumcision or through Christ? That that's that's his issue. And um, we can pick it up in verse nineteen um, of chapter three. Uh, we know that whatever the law says, it says those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in the sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we've got a lot of law language there. Mm. Um, law says something. It's talking about under the law, and, um, the deeds of the law, etc. Um, so we've got to come, what's Paul talking about? How do, we, how do we know? Well, we notice verse 19. We know that whatever the law says, it says those who are under the law. What does the law say? Well, he's just quoted a whole lot of verses. It's Paul's way of saying you know, that the Bible says... Mm. Um, he's just quoted verse 10, as it is written, there's no one righteous, no, not one, there's no one who understands, and so he goes through that. Question one asked then, where is he quoted from? Is he quoting from the Ten Commandments? That's the first question. No, he's not. All right. Second question, is he quoted from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? And the answer is no, he's not. Most of it's quoting from Psalms. Yeah. There's, um, I think, a passage there, 15, 16, 17, that's from Isaiah. But um, most of it's from Psalms. Mm. So when he says, we know whatever the law says, if, if he's referring back to what he's just quoted, and that's the logical way to read it, yeah. he must be using law in its broadest sense mm-hmm. of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. All right, um, We know that whatever the Old Testament says, it says those who are under under that law, mm. etc. Right? And then he goes on, he talks about law and the prophets in verse 21, mm-hmm. um, which would be another way of referring to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. Law being, in this context, verse 5 books, prophets being the rest of it. Yeah. It seems to have that, that whole Old Testament uh, in mind, mm. 
Now, again, without without getting into the nitty gritties of it, let's just go back to verse thirty one. With, with 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 that context in mind, yep. um, what is Paul saying? Do we then make void the law through faith? Um, from what we know about Romans, and again, we haven't had time to sort of unpack it and read yeah. through all of Romans and, and look at the argument. You know, Paul has Paul has been challenged, at, you know, as he teaches righteousness by faith, mm. right? In contrast to to righteousness through circumcision, yep. um, he's being accused of undermining the Old Testament, he's undermining yep. the law. Yep. You know? He's being accused of, of being a renegade from Judaism. You know? he's, he's teaching contrary to the law, mm-hmm. contrary to the Old Testament. So his point in verse 31 then would be something like this. When we teach faith, or when we teach righteousness yep. by faith, are we actually making a void the law? Are we undermining the Old Testament? Yeah. And his answer is no, of course not. On the contrary, we are establishing the teaching of the Old Testament. Yeah. So his point is really this. When we teach righteousness by faith, we're actually teaching what the Old Testament yeah. teaches. Right? We're being consistent. Yeah. We're actually establishing teaching of the Old Testament. Yeah. How do we know that's the, the right way to understand it? Well, in chapter 4, he takes two characters from the Old Testament. Mm. First is Abraham. Yep. Second one is David. Yep. And he demonstrates how they were made righteous by faith, yep. right? which is this whole argument. Yep. Um, so the Old Testament teaches righteousness by faith. That's, yep. his, that's his point. So Paul's not a renegade from Judaism. He's not undermining the teaching of the Old Testament. What he's teaching is consistent. That's the point he's trying to make. Um, that seems to be yeah. best for the context. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great example because like, you can see clearly from that passage how that if we come to the, the text with the question yeah. of, you know, is the moral law still binding? Yeah. Then we're going to read that verse as if Paul is talking about our question. Right. Whereas yeah. if we read the, the verse as Paul was writing it to the, to the Romans... Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Then we're going to read it in, like you said, in its context, and let him speak. Right. And then once we've let him speak, and and, and we've sort of understood what he's saying, yep. we can then apply that to the moral law. Absolutely. And we still come to the same conclusion, Absolutely. but we're, we're just not yep. resting scripture to get there. <laughs> Absolutely. The bottom line doesn't really change. Yeah. As I said, you know, theologically, um, our, our our proof text approach still makes sense in the big yeah. picture. Yeah. But we're totally missing Paul's point. Yeah. That's you know? right. Yeah. And and you know, we're better off to say. What does it mean, and then what does it mean to me, rather than yeah. just what does it mean to me? Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. And, and you also shared with us, and I'm not going to ask you to do that now <laughs> because we, we probably don't have time for all of that. But you also shared with us how the same principle, you know, is is often misapplied, uh, if you like, to Romans chapter seven, uh, yeah. and, and the question of, you know, we we often come to that passage with the question of, is this Paul pre-conversion or post-conversion? You know, right. you know, this whole wrestling with with still desiring, you know, things that he shouldn't be desiring. And, and so on and so forth, and and also the passage in Galatians where we're talking about the uh, schoolmaster, the law being a schoolmaster, yeah. And, and yeah. So again, the same sort of thing. If we come to the, those scriptures with a question in mind, then we often come out with the answer that we were looking for. Mm. Uh, whereas if we use what you're saying, which is just you know thorough exegesis, and we let the person say what he's saying, and then we make application once we understand what Paul in this case is saying. Uh, then we're, we're going to come away with a, a much more um, a safer conclusion yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and be much more textually uh, correct. Absolutely. You know, um, it's, it's easy. The proof text, proof text approach is, is easier. It's not as, it's not as hard. Yes. You, know, you, can, you find the text that suits what you already believe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it's easier to prepare a topical sermon where you can take a text here and a text there and, mm-hmm. and, and prove the point you want to make. 
it's much harder to take a passage of scripture mm. and and put your own ideas, your own biases, your own questions mm. aside and say, what is the writer trying to say? Yeah. You know, yeah. what's what's he trying to teach yeah. his his audience? Yeah. And try and follow his logic, try and understand his use of language. Mm-hmm. That that's a, that's hard work. Yeah. But it's far more rewarding yeah. because now you understand scripture. Yeah. You know? I remember when I was young in the faith, I, I'd become a Bible worker and I was working with this um this young guy who was actually like the, the equivalent, a Bible worker for his faith, right? Yeah. And so he's a Sunday keeping Bible worker, I'm a Sabbath keeping Bible worker. Yep. And we're studying with each other about the Sabbath. Yeah. What wasn't a good arrangement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, as I said, I was young in the faith, and the proof, te- proof text method was the only method I knew. Yep. Right. And so then he throws me his verses, right? The ones that he he's been taught to use yep. to counteract what I'm saying, and and I don't know what to do with them. Yeah. Because when I read them, I read into to those verses with the questions that that I think you know I should be asking of those verses. Yep. And, and you get these really difficult passages, like for example, there's there's some in Colossians that talk about you know the law and. It's really hard to wrestle with those passages yep. uh, as a Seventh Day Adventist with a you know a solid belief in the the you know viability if you like of the moral law. Yeah. Because yep. because we don't have this you know this method isn't working on our behalf. Yeah. Um, and so I think um, what what you're telling us is really important because as Seventh Day Adventists we've been sort of known if you like as the people of the book. But unfortunately, we're only sort of the people of the book in the sense that we know where the verses are that tell us what we believe. Right. Right. Yeah, that's, Whereas, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. I suppose what, what you're saying is that we, we need to come back to the place where we, we know the book, you know, where we know what scripture is actually saying. And that's right. And then yeah. when we get to those hard passages, like those ones that were sort of stumping me, mm. uh, then we can, I suppose, really wrestle with them. And we don't have to be scared of the conclusion that we might come to, yeah. you know, if we're honest with the text. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of freedom in studying the Bible that way. Like you said, it is harder, but yeah. it's freeing, I think. Definitely, definitely. I think um, it, allows the, it allows the text to be supreme, mm. all right? I'm no longer the authority. I don't need to be the authority, Yeah. all right? The, the text is the authority. Yeah. Yeah. I need to submit myself to the text, submit my ideas to the text. Um, and it's scary. It can, be, yeah. it can be frightening, you know? What if I find something that, that's not what I believe? Yeah. Well... Then you found truth. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be a good thing? Yeah, yeah. it would be. <laughs> um, now, yeah, but that's it, it, to me. It's exciting. You yeah. know, it's about to come to the text sure. um, with the potential of learning something new. Yeah, uh, is huge. That's that's what it's about. Yeah. You know, I shouldn't just go to the text yeah. to, to find proof what I already believe. Yeah. So much there to learn and to understand. You yeah. know, the more you learn, the realize you realize how much more there is to learn. Yeah, um, yeah, we've only just scratched the surface. Yeah, absolutely, really. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely loved it when when you took us through those things last year in the elders meetings. For me, um, I, I feel as a as a Seventh Adventist, sometimes we we get a bit arrogant, you know, in our position, if you like, as as knowing the Bible, yep. and and we sort of feel like um, we have all the answers, and the others they they just haven't you know sought you know you know uh, they haven't tried hard enough, if you like, to yeah. to come to the right conclusions in the Bible or you know whatever. And so what we do then is we just get comfortable in our condition. And we no, don't no longer ask these questions that you know you were bringing to the forefront of our minds. Yeah. You know, what's the author actually trying to say? Yep. And so this, I think, promotes um, you know I suppose honesty, intellectual honesty, but also uh, it really promotes growth as a Christian. And I think yep. as a church, like just as a whole, as Seventh Adventists, we really need that to, yep. to get out of our state of complacency. Yeah, I I think um, it, it requires humility, but it also um, facilitates humility in the yeah. sense that you know you. Um, 
you're, again, you're allowed the text to be supreme, but you, but you, you know, you're having to put aside some of that stuff. Your biases and, and your biases and, and things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. It requires humility, but it also results in humility. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so uh, just just quickly, um, are there any simple like steps? Could could you sort of summarize your method of Bible study for for say someone who's listening who maybe they don't take this approach to studying the Bible? Is there like a a quick way that in which you could describe this method so that they could learn to apply it themselves? Um, yeah, three, three steps to how to read the Bible. Um, well, the, the key word is context. That, you yep. know, we, we come to anything, you know, remember context. And you know, if, if you got a letter in the mail from, from a friend, yeah. <laughs> you, you wouldn't just open it, start on the second page, dive into the middle and say, well, here's the thought that they want me to have today. You know, you'd start at the beginning and you'd read it through and you'd get to the end and you'd, you'd read it. That's context. You'd yeah. follow the flow of, of what they're trying to say to you. And, and yet we don't often do that with the Bible. You know, if we want to know what Paul says to the Romans, we should start at chapter 1 and read through to chapter 16 and, and take a bit of time. And that's where we struggle because yeah. we don't have time, so we just want to dive in somewhere. Um, but, you know, reading something, you know, probably start with a smaller book. Start with, you know, First John and just read it through. Chapter mm-hmm. 1, chapter 3, chapter, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5. Next day, read it again, read it again, read mm-hmm. it again. Get the context, get, get, get the flow, get, yeah. get the big picture of what's going on there. Um, any any book you try, even even a book like Revelation, you know when when I when I started, you know, when I wanted to study Revelation more. Initially, I wasn't interested in Revelation um, as as a new Adventist. You know, I was more interested in righteousness by faith and Romans and Galatians and stuff like that. Yeah. Revelation just seemed kind of you know too out there and not not as relevant. It was sort of like more you know, future stuff. I wanted to know about me today. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, eventually I, I got more interested in Revelation and. I'd gone to Revelation seminars, understood the stuff that you know that we talk about. Could, could do all that, see all that, and make, made sense to me. But, but I had this kind of nagging conviction: what if what if there was a story? What if what if you actually could read Revelation from chapter one through to the end and actually flow a flow? You know, because yeah. you say, oh, well, it's not chronological, and you've got to tie this bit back with that bit and this bit with that. And uh, I thought, well, yeah, okay, I can see that. I can see how this ties with that, and that ties back to that, and all the rest of it. But you know, what if there's an internal logic? You know. What if, what if there actually is a narrative in Revelation, you know, of all, of all the books? What if you could actually read it and, and, and follow a storyline? Mm. And so I thought, well, that's worth pursuing, you know. And so I, I started reading Revelation, you know, that's chapter one. And you know, it's hard to get through all in one sitting, but, you know, you read through half of it. Next day, come back, read the other half. And next day, do it all again. And, and, and after reading it through, you know, 10, 15, 20 times, you start to see things that you don't see before. Mm-hmm. So the first thing really is observation. You know, you've got to look at the text. And so often we, we already know what it means, so we don't look closely. You know? and, and already thinking you know what it, what it says actually is the barrier that keeps you from, from learning anything. Yeah. So the first thing is, is to ask the question, what does it actually say? Yeah. You know? yeah. Observation, what does, it, what does it actually say? That's really the question, what does it say? Um, then the second question is, what, what does it mean by mm-hmm. what it says? Mm-hmm. You know? And that's where you, you're trying to find out what's the author's intention. That's still still dealing with context. How does the author use his language? You know, um, different writers define their terms differently. Paul uses faith and works quite differently. The way James uses the terms faith and works, and we can't use one to interpret the other. We have to say, well, okay, how, what does Paul mean by that, yeah. as opposed to what does James mean by that? So mm-hmm. how does the author use his terminology? That's all interpretation. So so we're doing word studies and things like that. Mm-hmm. So. So looking at the big picture, what does it say? Observation. 
Um, what does it mean by what it says? That's interpretation. We're looking at context, word studies, how's the author using this terminology? Um, and then finally, you get to application. We mm. want to start there. You know? yeah, application, yeah. what does it mean to me? Yeah. But as I said you know, earlier on, you, you can't possibly know what it means to me until you actually know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> you know, otherwise, you're in danger of coming up with all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, so once you've found out what it says and then what it means by what it says, then you can ask the question, what does it mean to me? Mm. Um, so those, those are sort of three simple steps, observation, interpretation, application. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot more in that, but but in a simple sense, you know, that's that's yeah, hopefully helpful anyway as a starting point. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I, I remember when I first learned that sequence, um, how helpful yeah. that was to me. It was yeah. it was super. Like just, I, I guess I'm a bit like you as well, just a fairly structured person. And so having that structure to work with really just yeah. opened my eyes to how to study the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've kind of you know come, I suppose, covered a, a vast array of your life. Uh, throughout your experience, have, have there been any people or whether it's like authors or things like that that have really stood out to you as people that have sort of mentored you through the faith, whether physical or, or just through their words? Um, there are. There's, you know, I, don't, I don't sort of, um, there's not sort of one person, I say this person yeah. my mentor, but different people have impacted me at different points in my journey. Mm-hmm. And um, probably as a, as a new Christian, um, there was a, a Bible teacher by the name of Bill Liversidge, oh, yes. who um, his his emphasis was on inductive study, mm-hmm. you know, basically looking at a passage and working through it. And so he would travel around, um, based in the States, I think. He was an Australian, based in the States, but would often come to New Zealand. And so okay. I went to one of his seminars in, in New Zealand, in Auckland, travelled up to Auckland. Uh, went to a weekend seminar on the book of Romans. This okay. was in my early days. I was interested in Romans, interested in righteousness by faith. And uh, yeah, yeah, he, he had he had his ideas, he had his views, and then that would come through. And I don't remember much of, of, of what they were really, because what struck me the most was the method, you mm-hmm. know, looking at the text. Mm-hmm. And I, I had never, you know, I, again, I'd grown up going to church, I'd grown yeah. up going to Adventist school. Um, I'd been back in the church a couple of years. You know, I was teaching Sabbath school and doing all that stuff, and I was studying righteous by faith, reading all these books. Um, but I'd never been exposed to that method, the inductive mm. study method, where you simply take a passage and work through and trying to find the author's intention. Mm. You know? And so over this weekend, we started working through Romans. Right? Mm-hmm. We didn't get very far. We got through, I think we got to chapter eight. I mean, the first eight chapters are the most interesting anyway, but I didn't know. It to me at that point anyway. Yeah. And I still <laughs> sort of gravitate back to those ones. But yeah. So we started in, in chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter one. We only got to chapter six, though. We got to chapter seven and eight. But... Um, but by the end of that weekend, I was I was blown away, partly by, by what I was learning, what I was seeing in the text. Yeah. But the most significant thing that I that I discovered was that hey, it's actually possible to understand mm. the Bible for yourself. Mm. You know, That's cool. if, if you will, if you will read it and and stop and take mm. the time to think about the text. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I, I just came away walking on air. I thought this is yeah. just this is the most exciting thing in the world. You know. That's cool. I never heard of inductive Bible study, you know, but but the thought of of reading it the way it was written was just like, <laughs> I was like, well, you know, duh, you know, what, yeah. why didn't I think of that, you know? But but it was like, you know, pointing out the obvious was kind of like the most revolutionary thing to yeah. me in the world. Read it the way it's written. Read yeah. it the way the intended to be written. And so I'm reading it, going, wow, you know, I'm seeing things I hadn't seen before. I'm understanding what he means because of what went before it and comes after it. You yeah. know, and it was just like, I can do this. Yeah. 
So that was that was kind of revolutionary, and and so that sort of set me on a on a whole different trajectory. You know, mm -hmm. how to was reading the Bible differently, yeah. and now I had this desire to 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 read that way and study that way and, and try and teach mm -hmm. that way. And then I went to Avondale, and um, yeah, with fear and trepidation, you know, I, I was um, you know, warned about the dangers of Avondale, <laughs> and. and um, Anyway, so I, I was I was very good. I was only going for two years because I had already done a Bachelor of Arts degree, so I went there for two years and did the graduate diploma. Okay. Um, so um, again, I dived into Greek. That was that was there. I could get to get to learn Greek at last. You know, I loved that. Uh, I've done Gospels and Epistles, um, and so my my lecturers um, challenged me, inspired me. You know, and, yeah. and uh, you know, I had lecturers who at the time I. I, I how can he believe that? How can he yeah. teach that? You know, and, um, and and it wasn't until some years later, sometimes I'd look back and I'm going, boy, he was seeing something in the text that I wasn't seeing. Mm. Now I now I can mm -hmm. see it. Um, but mm. but what what they did beyond all of that, you know, the, the issues with theology and all the rest of it. Beyond that, um, what I what I learned there was um, the importance of the text. Mm. You know, it doesn't matter That's what I think. It doesn't yeah. matter what baggage I come to the text with. I need to. Look at the text, mm. and, and so that, that that was challenging. Um, but it was what it was during that time. Um, I read a book called "Ashamed of the Gospel" by a guy called John MacArthur. Mm -hmm. uh, it was it was required reading for one of our subjects. I can't remember which, what the subject was. We had to read it, do a book review on it. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading this book, "Ashamed of the Gospel," and I'm just every page was just I'm resonating with this, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, this guy's just I don't know who he is, but this guy's awesome, you know. Yeah. He's, he's written this fantastic book. Um, and, and the thrust of the book was, you know, we shouldn't be watering down the gospel message. We shouldn't be trying to entertain people. We should be preaching the word. The gospel has power. The gospel is, you know, it's the power of God. And, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, we shouldn't become like the world to try to reach the world. And so that was just where, I, you know, totally where I was at. So I'm loving this book. I've got to, I've got to learn more about this guy, John MacArthur. And so mm -hmm. I had a, had a friend at college who lent me a, a tape back in the days of tapes, yeah. <laughs> an audio cassette with a sermon, John MacArthur's, and, and uh, John MacArthur is an expository preacher. Yes. He has a church in California. He, um, he's not Adventist. Um, in fact, he's all the things that, that we're not, that, that I'm not. He's, you know, he's a Calvinist, he's a futurist, he's a dispensationalist. <laughs> um, so, so I've always read flags, um, but, but he's an expository preacher. He preaches three books of the Bible. Mm -hmm. he, yeah, he'll spend two or three years preaching through Matthew and then Mark and then Luke and then you know, Acts and then yeah, Romans, whatever. He'll just, just systematically preach through scripture. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, someone lent me one of his sermons, and I can't remember now what it was on. Um, it might have been, been the one on First Timothy, I think, the man of God, um, First Timothy 6. And I remember listening to the sermon and just just being blown away. Mm -hmm. Just working, it's, it sounds boring, you know, a preacher just working systematically word by word through a verse. Um, you think, well, that's just you know, it's like reading a commentary, or yeah. you know, like, <laughs> how, how boring is that? But the power in in the preaching was just absolutely phenomenal. Mm -hmm. the, the, it was, and, and the power was in the word. He was just basically unleashing the yeah. word, and um, and I'm just thinking, man, that's just oh, that's how I want to preach. Yeah, I want to I want to preach the word um, systematically, expository, um, and so yeah, John MacArthur, as I said, for all his Theological differences, um, his his approach, his 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 method of dealing with the text and presenting the text, 
has probably been the greatest single influence on on my my mm. preaching, my desire to preach in a way that's clear and, and communicates the word. Mm. Um, he, you know, he, I, I envy him because he's got his own church and you know, preaches there every every Sunday, yeah. and um, he, he preaches for like you know, average on fifty to sixty minutes. Yeah. He can just really unpack the word. You know, I'm thinking I've got to try and do that in like thirty to forty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's harder, but. Um, but if you're ever interested in finding out how that worked out for Mark, you, you can listen to his sermons on our church website, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I'm sure you'll find that he's, he's doing an exceptional job at it. <laughs> yeah, well, look, you know, that, that's something that, um, well, those are the things I enjoy the most, studying, mm. teaching, and preaching. You know, it's amazing, so. those people that you've mentioned and the way that they've influenced you. I can just see how that has shaped yep. you as a person. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you in the future, you, you mentioned earlier on that you wanted to go on and do your masters. Now you did end up doing your masters. So I did end up doing that. Yeah, when, when I when I finished my my BA in theology, I basically did five years of study straight. I did three years in New Zealand doing my BA psych, and went straight to Avondale. Did two years of theology. Yeah. And I was just in this groove, in the study group, and, yeah. and, and I was, as I said, I, I I was loving the Greek. It's just loving being in the Word. Yeah. All day, every day, just being in the Word, studying and. I love to learn, and, and so if I could have stayed on, I would have spent another two or three years there doing a master's and a doctorate. But it wasn't to be, so at that stage you weren't allowed to do that, you had to go out and do two, at least two years in the field before you could do a master's. So I did that, I went to South New Zealand, did two years there, and then um, was transferred to North New Zealand, and then I, um, I actually I applied um, for sponsorship for North New Zealand Conference, could I go and start an MA in theology? And um, they said, no, all the, all the sponsorship places are full. Okay. And so I thought, well, I'll pack myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so I, I you know, enrolled at Avondale for winter school in, in, a, in, a, in an MA subject. Um, and um, there was only one MA subject, I mean, MA theology subject at the time that year that interested me. That was Exodus of Revelation. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, well, that sounds really, really, really exciting. So I went and did that. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, there was some, some admin guys from North New Zealand over there at the same time doing some other study, and I said, oh, what are you doing here? You didn't get sponsorship. And I said, no, I just came and paid my, paid my own way. And so they sort of said, well, if you're that keen, we'll pay for you next year. And, and so okay. they sponsored me to, to, to keep working on my master's. Um, but as it happened, you know, because I, I got, did the exegesis of Revelation, and was so interested in doing Revelation, I didn't want to do any other subjects. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I went and I asked the, the head of the theology department, can I change from a, an MA, which is a um, it's classwork, it's, you know, it's doing eight subjects, mm -hmm. doing coursework, um, to a, a research degree, an MTH at the time, Master of Theology degree. Um, you know, because I just wanted to do some exegesis in Revelation, I pick a passage and just, just dig deep. And, um, and I said yes, and, and that was... Hindsight, I mean, I, I really loved it. I, I did, I, I finished my, well, the time I finished, it wasn't called the intake anymore. It took me so long to finish it. Um, it, was, it was difficult timing because that was, that was just when, when Catherine Moldis was born and yeah. a young family and full-time work and trying to study and it was, it was yeah. yeah, looking back, it was ridiculous. But um, just what I wanted to do and, and um, it was, uh, the coursework would have suited my personality better just because it would have been more structured and okay. I probably would have got through it better. Um, but I, I just I wanted to dig deep into this stuff, and so yeah. I, I don't regret doing it now that it's finished. I had lots of yeah. moments where I thought, what have I got myself into? Um, but yeah, I, I finished that a few years back. 
Um, do, you, do you see a doctor? So the yeah, that's that's the thing. When I again, when I finished that, you know, I, I remember putting it in the mail, you know, because I had to you know, print out a couple of copies, send it to Avondale, and I was sending it off around the world to a couple of examiners. Remember putting it in the mail, thinking I'm going to sign off my doctor tomorrow. You know, I'm just I was on that groove. You know, I just kind of had got it finished, and I was feeling like I was on top of the world. And I was just going to get straight into the next one. Um, but because I'm busy with work and life and and, and, and family and stuff, I, I didn't and. Um, and, and just haven't had time. But look, I'd still like to, I think. I, I, again, I'd, I'd love to keep studying. Um, to, to me, it's just a matter of, of having that, that gap in my, you know, work, family, and study. Of, you know, to me, I can do two things, but not three of them. You know? yeah. so <laughs> work and study, work and family, study and family, but not all three. So yeah. I gotta try and find a way to, to, to fit yeah. study in there somewhere. Yeah. With, yeah. So t 10 years from now, where do you see yourself? That's a good question, and I'm and I'm not really sure. I you know, I, I can't I'd like to get. You know, I feel like the right answer would be wherever God wants me to be. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I do enjoy teaching. Um, I, I I'd like. Yes, I'd like to see myself teaching theology at some point mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah. Um, so if that eventuates, I think that'd be great. Um, yeah. So I look, I'll probably I'll probably eventually go that way. You know, you know once once the kids are a bit older and um, it's probably got a bit more. Freedom to do that. Yeah, yeah, I could see, yeah. I could see you doing that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So just in wrapping up, if you could uh, say say something to the sixteen-year-old version of yourself, now I'm looking back with all the hindsight, uh, what would it be? What sort of words of wisdom would you offer to the young Mark? Yeah. Um, I'd probably, I'd probably slap me around a bit and try and shake, <laughs> shake some sense into me, but. Um, I think you know probably lots of profound things to say, but but I, I would I would say read your Bible, you know, and uh, and I'd say that to any young person today. Because you know, having having grown up going to church, I, I as I said, I knew the Bible stories. I went to primary school, I went to um, Sabbath school, but I never remember reading my Bible. It's kind of weird. I had a Bible to yeah. take it to church with me. Yeah. But I, I didn't get up every morning and read it. I didn't yeah. do my service lesson regularly. I wasn't disciplined reading my Bible. So as, as I got into my teen years, I, I had the kind of the knowledge, but not that that Bible connection that I, that I needed. Um, I never studied the Bible. Never never got excited about it. You know, and mm. I think um, learning to love the Bible um, at a young age um, is it's the most important thing in the world. Mm. You know, um, if if, the, if if there is a God who has revealed Himself through His Word. What else matters, you know? Yeah. It's like you know, read the book, you know. It's just um, yeah. it's a no brainer. And and so I would I would say to me, you know, get get your Bible out, mm. read it every day. Mm. Just get lost in it, get absorbed in it. Um, it'll change your life. And when I did do that, when I came back in the church in my early twenties, you know, that's that's what I did. I you know, spent an hour every morning reading my Bible and praying, and um, and and it, it just it did it changed my life, turned my life around. Mm. There's a, there's a power in, in, in the word, and that's I guess that's what motivates me yeah. still. Um, so that would be my advice to me then. But you know, going on, um, you know, I, I think in, in my later teens, early twenties, um, I, I would I would say to me, be true to yourself. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Don't don't be too quick to accommodate other people's hang-ups and other people's things. You know, I mean. Um, being, being true to your own conscience, being true to God, um, 
think is really important, but but hard to do. You know, mm-hmm. um, so easy to um, to compromise to fit in, even in church circles. Mm-hmm. You know, um, to to own to own your belief, to know what you believe, stand up for it, mm-hmm. takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. And there's this there's this you know it's the paradox of nature of truth, but. You know, it's, on one hand, we need to be humble. I'd say, I'd say to the younger version of me, "Hey, you know, stay humble. Yeah. You know, um, don't think you know everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the danger, isn't it? When you're young, you think you know everything, and really you don't. But you know, be humble, but but have the courage of your convictions. Yeah. You know, be true to yourself. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's re- that's really good advice. So you know, basically lo- loving the word. Yep. And, and then being true to to what it yeah, teaches you. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for your time. It's been been cool hear, hearing your story and uh, hopefully, you know, the things that you've been able to share with us that have been really beneficial to us, you know, that hopefully will spread abroad <laughs> yeah. through the podcast, the podcast and be a blessing to, to others as well. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you again for your time. and yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me. No, no, no yeah. problem at all. Well, this was another episode of Table Talk. So, uh, as usual, uh, subscribe, like, Uh, tell us what you think in the comments and uh, we'll see you again for another episode next week and that's the end of another episode just before I head off I want to encourage you to go over to our page on Facebook and also our account on Instagram and follow us there because that is where we interact with our listeners and we would love for you to enter in and join the conversation also while you're signing up I would also recommend signing up to our mailing list on our website oztabletalk.com.au if you do that you will receive our exclusive content because occasionally we do release exclusives and they only go out to our mailing list so i would strongly recommend you go and sign up for that if you have a few more minutes to be one of the most amazing listeners on the planet you can go over to itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review because reviews help us to grow and they help other people to find us so if you want to help us reach those goals please jump in and give us a review the final message that i'd like to leave you with is to let you know about our patreon account now Patreon is a way for creators to get paid for creating and ultimately what we do does cost money to get us hosted and have the services that we need to run the podcast and so if you'd like to help us do that jump over onto patreon.com slash oztabletalk and you can you can give anything from even a dollar a month upwards but at different levels there are different benefits different rewards that we want to give you just to say thank you for being an amazing supporter of ours if you can't afford that we would just gratefully accept your prayers because that is what our ministry runs on. And so with that, I will leave you to your day and thank you so much for listening to this episode. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.